And so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. But if you are an infant or 93 or 94, no Merry Christmas for you. <laughs> you ever thought about like some of the lyrics to some of our Christmas songs? They're kind of like seared in our memories. And uh, it's, it's one of the seasons that song after song comes on the radio and you sing word for word, but some of them are a little weird. <clears throat> now bring us some figgy pudding. Now bring us some figgy pudding. Now bring us some figgy pudding and a cup of good cheer. Now, I don't even know what figgy pudding is. And the song starts out very kind and warm. We wish you a Merry Christmas, and then it gets real demanding. Now bring us some figgy pudding. But it's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Figgy pudding. Um, or this is a classic, right? bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. You know it. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. In winter? Dashing through the snow in a convertible is fun. Have you ever just thought about that? I watched the Penn State-Michigan State game yesterday in the snow. It was fun to watch from my living room, but it didn't look like they were having fun sitting in the stands of that game, right? And then there's, um, there's, there's this one. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Question, is Santa a serial killer? <laughs> right? <laughs> like if you're just like, that's creepy, why does he have surveillance at my house? Uh, we kind of gloss over all these songs because they're part of the Christmas tradition. Right, and I think we often sing the songs and we, we miss some of those things and maybe they're just silly and they're just part of tradition. But I think sometimes the same thing happens when we sing our sacred songs at Christmas. I think sometimes we're, we're just singing them and we know them by heart and they're just so ingrained in, in the tradition that we miss something really powerful in those Christmas carols that are so traditional and so much a part of the season, and isn't it funny that no matter how rock and roll your church is and how modern the church is, and we're pretty rock and roll, that when it gets to the Christmas season, we wanna sing Christmas carols, right? We, we wanna sing those hymns, uh, those familiar 
songs that were written hundreds of years ago, and we often jazz them up with electric guitar and drums at, at Mountaintop, but we want to sing those. Those, those familiar melodies take us back to a familiar place, don't they? They take us back to Christmas Eve, maybe with our grandma at her church. They take us back to maybe the radio playing in the background, eating Christmas dinner with our family. They, they do something to us. They, they warm our hearts. And, you know, it's interesting if you're, if you're kind of new to church uh, or you're, you're new to, to faith, you may not know the words to a lot of traditional Christian hymns except Christmas carols. Like we could probably all sing Joy to the World, you know, word for word, the first verse. We just kind of, we just kind of know those. But those songs are more than just seasonal songs, and they are more than just about a baby and a manger. See, oftentimes when we think of Christmas, we think that Christmas is just about what happened in Bethlehem. You know, the inn, there's no room, there's a baby, there's a manger, there's some cattle, there's some lambs and some sheep and maybe a camel. But oftentimes, our Christmas carols, if we'll listen closely, are talking about what happened because of Bethlehem. And those are two really different things. It's right there in the songs. Do you hear what I hear when we sing them? Do you hear the message of the gospel. These carols aren't just the sound of the season. They're the soul of Christmas. So this series is going to be a little different. It's a little deeper than Mary and Joseph and wise men and shepherds. It's about how the first Christmas changed everything. And today we're going to look at a song written by the younger brother of one of the most famous preachers that ever lived. John Wesley is a giant among the Christian faith. He stands with the likes and history of, of Martin Luther and John Calvin. His writings and his preaching, the one thing great about Wesley is that he wrote out all of his sermons word for word. So we just have anthologies of his sermons, and he preached a lot. His, his, his writings have transformed Christianity. But his little brother, Charles Wesley, was not known just for writing sermons. He was a hymn writer. He wrote 6,500 hymns, 6,500 hymns. He was like Elevation Worship, Hillsong, like Bethel music of the 18th century. Kids back in the day were like, yo, did you hear that new Wesley album dropped? It's dope, man. I'm telling you, that's what, is that what the kids say? Is that, that was probably a dad moment right there. Um, in 1739, well, let me tell you about some of the hymns he wrote. You, you know a lot of them probably. Uh, he wrote, uh, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, still sung in Easter uh, at many churches. He wrote, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, another one often sung around the Christmas time. Love divine, all love's excelling. He wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Pretty cool, huh? In 1739, he wrote what we're going to talk about today, a Christmas song called Heart the Herald, Angels Sing. Now, actually, it wasn't called Heart the Herald, Angels Sing. Originally, the first line and the title was Hark How All the Welkin Rings. 
<laughs> Amen, yeah, yeah. Hark how all the welkin rings. Just doesn't quite have the same like little, little catchy. To, now if you're like, what in the world is that? Welkin, if you look it up in your dictionary, you can get out your phones and Google it right now. It doesn't bother me, okay? Like you're like, I don't think that was a real word. Welkin is still a word. It is a word you are more likely to find in Shakespeare. Shakespeare used the word, much more of an old English word. It sort of means the expanse of the sky or the vault of the sky. So when Wesley originally wrote it, he was just kind of writing like the heavens were ringing, the heavens were declaring. In 1754, about 15 years after it was originally written, Methodist preacher George Whitfield, who was one of the uh, huge preachers in bringing revival to America, to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the colonies, uh, he rewrote the first line of the song and of what eventually became the title of the song and changed it to the familiar what we know, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In 1840, it was put to the current melody by Felix Mendelssohn, and so for 180 years, it has been known in the way that we know it and that we sing it with the tune of Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And uh, the third stanza hits me kind of every time I sing it, and it speaks to the purpose of Bethlehem far beyond a manger. Listen to what it says. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Let's just sing that together. You can stay seated. Nate's going to play a little bit for us, and let's just sing that third stanza together. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to second birth hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king and born that men no more may die born to raise the sons and the daughters of earth born to give us second birth that's not just Christmas y'all that's the gospel I mean, that's like Jesus came that we might live again. Death was the punishment for sin. After Eden, the world lived in this kind of waiting season where we had a law that pointed to God's glory and perfection but reminded us of our sin. 
Death reigned. The world groaned. Israel waited for a savior for 400 years. That was the world pre-Bethlehem. This, then, is the promise of Christmas that Charles Wesley reminds us of. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. Jesus came to life so that we would not know death. And Wesley reminds us in song that without Jesus' birth, we wouldn't have Jesus' death. And without his death, we wouldn't have his resurrection and the promise of our future resurrection. And that's why the angels sing at Christmas and why it's worth celebrating. And I want to zero in on this last stanza and and just kind of talk about where in the world did Wesley get this from? The message is so loud and clear right out of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you want to open your app or your Bible, if you're at home or you're watching or maybe you're on the road traveling back, I wouldn't uh, encourage you if you're driving to look at your uh, look at your app but maybe if you're in the passenger seat and you're watching driving or you're visiting family uh, open your Bibles we've got free Bibles when you walk out at the bookshelves first Corinthians 15 where the apostle talk, Paul talks about how those in Christ will not die and they'll be raised and have a second kind of birth. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look in verse 50 and about the next uh, seven or eight or nine verses. All right? 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So what Paul is saying is that if like if you and I are going to inherit the kingdom of God, if, if you and I are going to experience heaven, something is going to have to happen to our perishable bodies in order for us to spend eternity with God. And Paul says that's, that's part of the mystery. Listen to the next two verses in 51 and 52. So Paul says, listen, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die. That means some of those, some will be waiting and be alive when Christ comes again. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. There was rejoicing in heaven the first time Jesus came, and there will be rejoicing again. And Wesley got it straight from Paul, and he put it in a Christmas song. Wesley read 1 Corinthians 15 right after he read Luke 2 and put it right in a Christmas song. The dead will be raised, and we will be, what does he say? We'll be different. The word change there is a great word. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those, just a great word to understand. In, in the Greek, it's a word that is alasso. It means to exchange one thing for another. It's, it's an exchange that happens or, or a transformation. Something has to be exchanged, it, uh, be transformed. Um, you're going to be reborn. Think about it this way. You're going to get something for Christmas um, that you don't like, right? Like you're going to get a present from Christmas, like that aunt that always gives you a sweater, right? Come on, I know, come on, right? You're going to get something that you don't like. It doesn't fit, it's not your style, it's not your deal. You're going to get something and 
pray to God that there's a gift receipt in the box, right? And you're going to take it to Kohl's, or you're going to take it to Belk, or you're going to take it to Target, and you're going to do what? You're going to exchange it, right? And you're going to trade a sweater for a new crock pot, because you really need a new crock pot. You don't need any sweaters, but your crock pot broke over Thanksgiving, and you need a crock pot. And you're going to get something that's going to have the same value, right? It's going to have the same value, but it's going to be exchanged, it's going to be different. It's going to be a different size. It's going to be a different style. It could be a totally different thing. You understand what this means? God is going to exchange us. Like we still got the same value, but we're going to be different. It's going to be something totally different. And so tactically, like, like specifically, what does that mean? Paul explains it this way. The next verse says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. We are perishable. That's why at 40, you start breaking down, right? Come on. The first sign at around 39 to 41, 42 that you wake up and your knee hurts or your back hurts it, you're dying. Okay, right? That's the, that's the sign of it, that your body has started to perish, and it will get older. And it's like, this is like, listen, I know it's like, well, Merry Christmas, right? Now, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just like, you know it. You live it. You have those same things, right? Your eyesight goes. The knee starts hurting. We are mortal. We are mortal. We all die. But as Wesley alluded to in that famous Christmas carol and as Paul wrote, when the final trumpet blows, our perishable bodies will be exchanged. There will be an alasso. There will be an exchange for a fresh one. And our mortal bodies will rise and get an immortal one. And that moment, the fulfillment of a promise that began that first Christmas will come to fruition. Listen to what Paul writes in the next two verses. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, when your body with its bad back and its bad eyesight and its bad knees and the elbow that kind of creaks, it's going to get an imperishable one. New knees, new back, new eyes. Come on. And the mortal with immortality the mortal with immortality. Some of you, some of you this Christmas are missing a loved one. But that loved one, that mortal body, that, that they're going to rise, those in Christ, with immortality. And then Paul writes, then, he has a when then, when then, when then. When that happens, then the saying that is written will come true, and this is so good. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? When, when, where can you boast then, death? Where is your victory? See, Jesus was born so that we could be born again. This is the promise of Christmas, so that we could put on the imperishable and put on the immortal. The eternal God became flesh so that our flesh could become eternal. 
Christmas is so much more than Bing Crosby and tinsel and trees and wreaths and gifts and meals. All that stuff's good. I love it. But Christmas was a warning signal that death's days were numbered. When Jesus was born, when Christ came to life, death was put on notice. And then Paul kind of brings it all back in the next, like that gets us all excited. We're like, come on, let's go. Like, like fire up the trumpet, you know? Paul kind of brings it back in the next verse. He says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Paul kind of reminds everybody reading it that's all fired up and that wants to cheer, like, like we still feel the sting right now. We live in a not yet world. Remember the last verse, when that happens, then the promise will be fulfilled, but we're not to the when yet. We still feel the sting. In fact, every sin is a little death. There is still a power over us that reminds us that this victory is not yet complete in this world where we're perishable and mortal, where people die and pandemics happen and cancer happens, a world where there are still empty chairs around the table at Christmas, a world where we still break each other's hearts and trust but this is not the end there is another world where Christ has final victory over sin and death and listen to how Paul says it but thanks be to God right the sting the, the sting of sin is still around right the sting of sin like we still feel the, that sting of death in sin, there's still this power over us, but thanks be to God, he gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas means that Jesus came into our world to carve a path into his world. And that's often missed at Christmas and all year through. That's, that's, that's kind of my problem with this thing that we call prosperity theology. All right, that sometimes turns Jesus into just a self-helper or problem fixer. And listen, I absolutely believe that God is at work in this world. I absolutely believe it. But just because you pray doesn't mean you always get it. And just because you have faith in this world doesn't mean that it gets fixed in this world. Let me, is that all you want out of Jesus? Is that all you want out of Jesus, is for him to just be a self-help problem fixer in this world, for things to just always work out in this world? The Christmas was the birth of the Word made flesh, Emmanuel God with us, the Messiah, who had became human, and he pointed to a better promise and a better future. Our promise isn't that everything in this world will get better. Our promise is that there's a better world. Our promise is not, the promise of Christmas, the promise of the Word made flesh is not that everything in this world will get better and your life will look like a Hallmark card. It might, it might not. We just say, thank you, God, for, for the blessings that we have, but the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We don't understand it all. We don't understand why bad things always happen to good people, but the promise isn't that this world will get better. The promise is that there is a better world. There is a victory in another world. 
where we get immortal bodies, where we're imperishable, where we are alasoed, we are changed. The ultimate victory is in the defeat of death through Christ's resurrection. Wesley wrote, light and life to all he brings. You remember that? Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. He laid his glory by to come to earth as a baby so that we might know him and live with him and live in him for eternity so that we may more know more may die. And then Paul has this closing, closing line, and this is so important, and it's so important because I don't know where you're at this season because you may be going through a hard time this season. This may be a hard December for you. This may be a rough Christmas. I don't know what you've been through in the last year. I don't know what's happening in your family. I don't know what's happening in your job. I don't know where you're at emotionally. And Paul, he, he spells all this out and then he closes in this line. And we, you might have heard that scripture of like, where, oh, death is your victory, where's your sting? And we miss this verse. Paul says this in the very last verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, are you listening, therefore? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Come on, listen. That reality of a future resurrection of a better world changes how we live in this world. Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you get disappointed, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you get a bad diagnosis, stand firm. Come on, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you get cheated or cheated on, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you get discouraged or you get anxious, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you're wondering where you're going to pay the, the bills the next month, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If you get lonely or you get hurt, stand firm. Let nothing move you. If your prayers don't get answered, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that our work is not in vain. Our promise isn't that this world will get better. Our promise is that there's a better world. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how hard it is. I don't know how hard Thanksgiving was. I don't know if there's tension in your family. I don't know if you're struggling financially. I don't know if you're hurting on the inside. I don't know if you got your heart broken and your spirit broken. But I just want to tell you something. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. We have a promise of a better world. And your faith and your faithfulness in this season is not in vain. And that's why the message of Christmas is the most important message ever told. And if you don't know Jesus and you're new to faith, and you're, you're wondering, like, you always just feel like the church just wants to give you rules, or you feel like the church is out to get you, or you just think the church wants to control your life. Brothers, can I just tell you, we just want you in on the promise. We just want you in on the promise. We want you to know that we can't promise you that this world will get better. We want you to know that we can't promise you that things will work out on this side of heaven. But we want you to know that there is a promise where death has lost its sting. That's it. Did you know that was in a Christmas song? I mean, come on, that's in a Christmas 
song. Christmas is so much more than just a season in its songs. Christmas is the birth of a promise. It's about a king who came from another world where death has lost its sting and been swallowed up in victory by the king of kings. Hark the herald. Come on. Hark the herald. Let the angels sing. Let mountaintops sing. Let Birmingham sing. Let the whole world sing. Glory to the newborn king. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we have this promise where death has lost its sting, that we have this promise where men and women no more may die, Lord, that you have been born to give a second birth. And Lord, we want to experience that. We believe, God, that, that our labor in this world is not in vain, that our faith, our trust in you, that our standing firm is not in vain. And Lord, I, I just want to pray for some brothers and sisters right now that are going through some things and there's something threatening to move them. And Lord, I just want to pray that, that they would let nothing move them. I want to pray that they would stand firm, whatever's happening in their life. Lord, my heart, my prayer is that that promise of another world, Lord, would be real in us today. And that, that others would be able to see glimpses of eternity in us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We want things to be better in this world. But thank you for a promise of another world. Thank you for the promise that we will live again. And thank you for the opportunity that we can be born again in this world. If there are those in this room, those watching online who have never experienced that, who don't know, Lord, my prayer is that they would just know today that we want them in on the promise. You want them in on the promise. You got a, you got a new body, a new life. And even right now in this earth, you got a new heart waiting on them. If they just say yes. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We love you. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing. No guitars, no drums. Just an old hymn written in 1739 that still rings true today.